This is episode 13 of the Kindred Bomb Podcast. I am your host, Emily Sue Allen. Welcome, friends. How are you? Thanks for tuning in this week. I have an interview to share with you with mama and writer Naomi Feda. She has contributed two different essays to the Kindred Mom community in the last several months, and in our interview, we discuss both of them. One was called The Mindset of Motherhood, and we talk about the importance of the way we think and speak about our mothering journeys, both to ourselves and to one another. We also talk about her second essay that touches on mental health awareness and her experience with that throughout her life. This show is supported by One Day's Wages, a grassroots movement of people, stories, and actions intended to alleviate extreme global poverty. This organization is captivated by the idea that everyday people have the power to change the world. By raising awareness and inspiring people to give simply, One Day's Wages has supplied nearly 3,000 mothers with better maternal health care, 2,500 children with access to pediatric care, and they are working worldwide to empower under-resourced families and communities. You can join their movement by making a donation or starting your own fundraiser to help fight poverty. Learn more at onedayswages.org. Well, now I have with me Naomi to talk to us about a couple of the things that she has shared on the Kindred Mom blog. Naomi, how are you? Good. How are you, Emily? I'm so good. Thank you so much for being here today. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, I wanted to start by having you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your family. So um, I have three children. My oldest is seven, and then I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, I've been married for 10 years in August, which is really wild. I don't know where the years went. And I work from home. I have a sewing business um, out of my house, and I am an author. That is wonderful. I didn't know about your sewing business. What do you sew? Um, I do alterations um, for like bridal parties, and I also do fitted slipcovers. So it was kind of grew out of a dream. I wanted to work from home, and I have been sewing since I was 10. So it just kind of started, and I've been in business for almost 10 years now. That's wonderful. Well, I wanted to begin by starting on the essay that you shared with the Kindred Mom community that was titled The Mindset of Motherhood, where you talked a little bit about the way that some people can just say negative things as you're maybe expecting a baby or you have really young children, negative things about the experience of mothering and your response to that. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that essay or the experience from which you wrote about that from? Well, distinctly, I remember it was actually after my third child was learning to crawl Mm -hmm. and we have a series of stairs in our house. And I was really excited to see him begin to start climbing the stairs. And when I shared that, somebody immediately commented, just wait until such and such happens. Mm -hmm. And I just remember it cutting me so much to my heart because Um, My first child actually had walked later and Mm -hmm. there was nothing wrong with him, but he didn't really walk until he was 18 months old. So I had never seen 
this crawling stage and this was my third child. And so I was so excited to see him crawling up the stairs at nine months old. And Mm -hmm. I was just overjoyed to see his progress. And it just hit me so hard because it's um, motherhood had been something I'd been in for a while, but just over and over again, I would hear these negative things. And I just hated that part of us uh, like speaking these negative things of our children mm-hmm. because I think there's power in our words as mothers and I I really personally like want to be an encourager for my children and for other moms because it is motherhood is hard and even um, say as a mom that works from home or whatever else it is that we do in our lives um, I just always want to be there to tell somebody you can do it. It's never going to be too hard. Like, look at all the people that went before you. I think if we look at the good things and what we can do, mm-hmm. then we really build build ourselves up and build up other women around us. And um, we feel stronger when we're encouraged. And when we say negative things, we really feel weak. Yeah. So a couple, I wanted to read just a couple of the quotes from your essay, just so that those who maybe haven't read it can um, kind of catch up with us a little bit. The few comments that you had listed in there that people had said to you were things like, just wait till the baby is born and the sleepless nights come, or just wait until you have two, it's such a hard adjustment, or just wait until they crawl and are into everything. Um, And then there were several more. And I think that this is something that I think sometimes people are just wanting to to relate and find a point of connection, but it is interesting that it oftentimes falls on the negative side of that experience when there is beauty and goodness even in those hard seasons. Like, of course, there are sleepless nights after you have a baby, and of course, there are new challenges when a baby becomes mobile, and those things are true, but I loved how in this essay, by the end, you were talking about how you intentionally reframe or change the way that you think about that so that you can speak something encouraging to other moms. One of the the ways you turned that around at the end of the essay was to say, just wait until you get to hold your newborn baby in the silence of the night. It's so special. And I just love that, how intentionally you have sought to make the things that were negatively spoken and make them something positive. Mm, Yeah. Thank you, Emily. Um, I definitely think that Um, Not just in motherhood, but in other areas of my life, I have been learning to do that because I think that our thoughts can really bring such attitudes and feelings. And if I know that I'm in a situation where I'm going to struggle with something, if I can think about ahead of time and reframe the thoughts that I might have, Mm -hmm. it totally changes the outcome of number one, my own outlook and how I'm approaching the situation, but also really like just the atmosphere and everyone else involved. For sure. Yeah, I've noticed this as well with my children when I expect the worst out of them, I usually get the worst out of them. (laughs) And, you know, on on the flip side, when I expect them to get along with each other and be considerate and be helpful, it's not that they're perfect at that, but I do think that they catch the message that I'm trying to send them that these are the things that we value in our family. And I do think that they make um, a much better effort in the times that I've really done a good job of communicating it. Mm, that's good. 
So um, one last thing about this essay that I wanted to talk about is just um, the way that you deal with comments coming in. If you find yourself in a situation, in a conversation like that, do you respond differently to people, not just in your own mind and the way that you try to think about it for yourself, but do you handle the situation differently when you communicate with people like that? I would say like if somebody comes at me with a negative comment and I am having a bad day Mm -hmm. or I am struggling with my own insecurity that day, then I'm more likely to kind of feed into the negativity rather than speak the truth that I want to speak. Um, The other thing that I definitely see as a struggle is that um, sometimes there's people around us that are more negative than others. And um, at times it can be harder to uh, reframe our words when we're around them, almost like um, people want you to be in their pity with them. I think that some people drag us down and we have to be careful of that and sensitive of their feelings as well, because we don't know like where their words are stemming from, but also um, just sensitive of how the interaction is making us feel. And are we going to put ourselves in that position again? I mean, definitely, I would think like over the past, there may have been different places or different groups of people that I found to be more negative than others. And if it was something that was continually like getting to me, it would just be something I might choose not to go to again or choosing wisely our friends and the environment that we're in on a continual basis. Absolutely. I um, I find that with the things that I tend to think about for a longer time period after I've maybe been with somebody that I, I'm someone who, if something doesn't sit well with me, it's something that kind of just hangs around in my mind. <laughs> and um, so the way that I have handled that sometimes is I will write about it or I'll talk to my husband or another trusted friend just to kind of sort out the thoughts from what maybe was said to me and then what it is that I want to actually hold on to going forward from there. Because sometimes it's not easy to untangle those things. I think that that's part of the work that happens as we just recognize when there's negativity or things that might not be really fruitful or helpful for us going forward. Yes, that's very true. I wanted to open up the conversation about the other essay that you shared, which I thought was so courageous. Um, May was Mental Health Awareness Month, and um, you have some life experience with this and shared really courageously in your essay about it. And I'd love for you to just give a small amount of backstory to um, your experience with this subject. Um, So... Um, mental health or mental illness is something that's been like a longstanding issue in uh, my mom's side of the family, especially. And so for me personally, my dad passed away when I was seven. And so then when I was 12, my mom had some mental health issues and she was in the hospital for several weeks. And um, after that, she came out and a variety of things happened. But Um, By the time I was 14, she was kind of falling back into um, not being healthy mentally again, Mm -hmm. but not bad enough for hospitalization. Some of the patterns of her illness was feeling like people were out to get her and 
um, that people were spying on us. And so that led to um, cutting off most of the family. Mm -hmm. So the situation really that it left me in was that it was um, me and I had a brother and then my mom and especially growing up. So I didn't have a father. It was really my mom was the only parent figure. Mm-hmm. So I was left in a home with no other really influence and somebody who wasn't mentally healthy. Mm-hmm. That really took a, a big toll on me because I was young enough that I didn't really understand what was going on. So I didn't even realize that what she was saying was out of her own mental unhealthiness. Yeah. So then it wasn't like I didn't realize that anything was wrong, really. And I just took everything that she was saying as truth. And so the interesting thing, I guess if you would call it interesting, is that it was really not until I was in my 20s, like my early 20s, that I actually realized that there was a problem and it wasn't a healthy situation. That was kind of rough because what I realized was that I had believed basically her own issues of believing people were against us and that people were spying on me. And I actually believed they were true because it's like Mm -hmm. when you live in that environment for so many years and the one authority figure that you have in your life is telling you that. So it took me a long time to really begin to sort through my own thoughts and what what was true and who could I trust and what does it mean to be healthy, um, both emotionally and mentally. Can you tell me just a little bit about that process in your 20s when you began realizing these things and how did you move forward to something new, something that would be more healthy, more stable? What resources did you find or people did you lean on for that to happen? Um, so... Over the course of a few years, I had been working at a convenience store Mm -hmm. and that was really like my main place where I was able to build relationships without being under the supervision of my home life, even Mm -hmm. though I was like in my 20s. Because my mom wasn't mentally healthy, she wasn't allowing me freedom to really develop other stable relationships. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I really can't necessarily say that it was her fault. It's more just... From my own perspective, I didn't believe that I could trust anyone else. Like, so there was a lot of dynamics in that. Um, I really feel like it was just kind of like the Lord in the sense that I distinctly remember all of a sudden feeling like something is not right and Mm -hmm. I'm going to change. And so it was like this moment of decision. And there was a couple people that I had met. Um, through the convenience store over several years that were customers who also had a strong faith in the Lord and who had just been encouraging me in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so I began to talk to them a little bit more and share things and kind of ironically, um, the Lord also used a little bit of romance in the situation. <laughs> um, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so because my husband had been um, coming in for several years trying to get me to date him. And I said, no, no way. I'm not interested. (laughs) Um, But then I kind of just, I don't, I think I just felt like I needed to give him a chance. And so I started getting to know him, but his, um, 
godparents were a huge help to me. So he quickly introduced me to them. Yeah. And they didn't really understand everything. But one of the books that his godmother gave me to read was Joyce Meyer's book, The Battlefield of the Mind. Mm-hmm. And as I began to read it, it was like I could see myself in it and I could see where I was going and I could begin to understand what was going on in my mind. Right. Um, so that I felt like was a huge breakthrough enough to where I started to get out of it. And then eventually I got married, but you still have like the remains of your past kind of left with you. Of course. And, you know, sometimes I think it's easy to believe like once we're out of a situation that suddenly we won't have to deal with the issues anymore. Mm-hmm. But I began to realize that I still had a lot of things like rooted in my thinking that needed to be healed or to be reprogrammed. And mm-hmm. one of the speakers that are the she's also an author of several books that I found to be really helpful was um, Caroline Leaf. Mm-hmm. She writes a lot about um, how to retrain your mind and like how to reshape your thoughts mm-hmm. and really talks about how we have hard wiring in our minds, but our minds are neuroplastic so that we can choose to think new thoughts and believe new things. And mm-hmm. she kind of showed me how to separate thoughts one by one so that you're not dealing right. with a whole layer. So it's like I would feel something and all of a sudden, like I'd have a trigger and I'd have to say, well, why am I feeling like this? And it would go back to like the root. And then once you get to the root, say it's like a fear of somebody being against you is the root of it. Then what truth am I going to teach myself about that? And, you know, a lot of times I would use Bible verses as something to grab onto as truth. But it was like I needed to know what am I going to say to this thought when it comes? And then over, you know, a long period of time, just you get healthier and healthier. So it's been a journey, definitely. How do you feel that stepping into motherhood, you have been intentional to create healthy habits and systems or things in your home, knowing that this is something from your childhood that has deeply impacted you. What do you do as a mom to proactively do things differently with your children? Well, I think that one of the best things that I can do as a mom is being aware of the past and my own interactions with it and even say the family history. But I have to learn to take care of myself because Mm -hmm. um, even when you see a family say, no matter what the family pattern is, you you can look at a family and see the patterns that carry over from generation to generation frequently. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those patterns are good and sometimes they're bad. And so I feel like by me consciously choosing to reframe my own thinking Mm -hmm. it gives them somebody who's like it's making me a healthier person so then it's gonna make them healthier because I'm choosing what's healthy so I think that that's really the most conscious choice and probably I mean that might very well be one of the driving things behind my desire to really like become more and more educated about like mental health and mental illness and Mm -hmm. um, the ability to overcome it and all of those things because I know the family history and I know that 
I could easily fall into that. There was an article that I read um, that I found really enlightening to me. And it was somebody who um, also had a family history of mental illness. And he talks about it as emotional dyslexia. Like some children are born in a healthy home and then they don't have as much trouble learning to relate or whatever else. But then some of us just like with reading dyslexia, Mm -hmm. we have to choose to overcome and Mm -hmm. grow. And that just made a lot of sense to me because rather than thinking of it as a disability or something that I can't choose to get out of, it's just something that we learn to overcome and it might take us longer than somebody else Mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah, I think it's really courageous for you to talk about you and prioritizing your own health being one of the primary things that allows you to give the best start in life to your children. Because I think there are so many women that when we think about self-care, people just think about things that are not necessarily at this deep of a level. Um, Like, oh, I just need to kick my feet up and watch a TV show or, you know, those kind of things, which not to knock that. I think it has a a place in some people's days. I don't really watch TV myself, so (laughs) that's not my self-care measure. But I I just think that it's really wise that you are caring for yourself at a a really deep level, both your mental health and your and your spiritual health. Really, I was going to say, too, with the um, experiences that I've had, one of the books that I um, found a lot of value in that seems similar to the Joyce Meyer one that you had mentioned, which I have not read, but was called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I've heard of that one. Yes. Yeah. When I read it, it was it was kind of towards the middle or the end part of the the hardest part of my experience processing my own childhood, which has different challenges in it than yours. But I found that book to be really helpful in understanding how the issues from my childhood were affecting me as I moved into my 20s and connected with my husband and got married and started having children that um, I just think that sometimes even though these issues are very deep and a part of our deeply formative years, that it's so valuable to do that work, which I know a lot of people do in counseling or do in other ways. I just think that it's really, really good that you have gone through that process and continue, I'm assuming. I feel like I'm I'm always continuing in the process myself. Yes, I think you're right. It definitely is a process that continues. Yeah, I think it it maybe always will. And almost like now that I'm more and more aware of it, I'm more aware of like, choosing boundaries even in little things like what do I say yes to what don't I what do I need for my own self to feel sane in the midst of three children and a house you know yeah well right before we wrap this up I did want to give you an opportunity first of all to just offer any words of advice or wisdom or comfort to any other mamas who might have similar experiences in their past like what you would say to that mama who feels like maybe there is deep work within her that needs to happen um, and maybe she feels anxious about that, what would you say? Well, I think that I would start by saying um, that we don't want to run from our past. Mm -hmm. I think often when we've had a rough upbringing or things haven't been perfect, that we want to say run away from our parents or run away from the family situation. But if one, another book that I read was Boundaries um, Mm -hmm. by by Dr. Henry Cloud. 
And one thing that he talks about is learning to stand back and say, what was good from, say, my childhood? What good do I want to take out of it? Mm -hmm. And we don't have to take everything. But as we become adults, we can choose, okay, this part was really good. And I'm going to take what's good. But what what isn't good, that's okay. It happened. And I'm going to forgive and I'm going to move forward. So you don't want to throw everything out. And I think the other thing too, in looking at our past, especially when we look at, say, our parents is if we can boil it down to this, knowing that for the most part, our parents loved us and they Mm -hmm. did the best that they could. It really begins, it begins a level of forgiveness. And I think that there's, there's always hope for healing. Like it's never too late to start. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know that you have continued to have a relationship with your mom what you said in your essay. And I was so encouraged by that, even knowing that it's not necessarily easy and that you have to be diligent about boundaries. But I just was so encouraged to hear um, that you are still invested in that. And what a beautiful testimony of your journey. Um, Yeah, I would actually even to add to that, the hard thing was when we began to set up boundaries. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was like the end of a relationship. And I have to say that now I probably have a healthier relationship with her than I've had since I was 12. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes boundaries are very restorative and we think that they're bad and they're they're not. In -hmm. fact, I think that, you know, I think that it even helped her understand like this is what we expect. And so it's been really good, actually, like way better a hundred times better than I would have ever expected if you asked me 10 years ago. Well, thank you so much for sharing about that. And last thing before we close things out, I'd love for people to know where they can learn more about you. Um, So my book is on um, Amazon or Kindle or ChristianBook.com. It's called Beyond Head Knowledge, Knowing Christ Who Satisfies Our Hearts. And then I'm on Instagram at Naomi Feda and on Facebook at um, facebook.com slash author Naomi Feda mm-hmm. and Twitter is at Naomi Feda and then a website that I am at is christianresourceministry.com Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing, Naomi. Thank you for having me. We touched on so many different things during this interview. I'm really grateful to Naomi for sharing from her experience in both of these essays. Regarding the first half of this interview and Naomi's thoughts about the mindset of motherhood, I think it's important to see the difference between speaking words that encourage and speaking things that will only add to a sense of worry or fear in a mama's heart. A few times over the years, a friend has come to me and asked me about a particular part of my experience, seeking perspective about what to expect, and I will always be honest with them about the joys and challenges alike. But in situations that a mother has not asked for that, I try to remember that sharing in their experience is an opportunity for me to genuinely encourage them. It's not usually helpful to interject these negative statements about the trouble that could be ahead. I'm guilty myself of doing this very thing when I'm recalling a particularly challenging stretch of parenting, but as much as I'm able, I want to strengthen and encourage moms around me. I hope you will also try your best to be that encouraging voice. About the second part of Naomi's interview and her experience with navigating the patterns that resulted from her mother's mental illness, I want to say that I value her perspective about this sensitive topic. 
She has been through so much and wants other women to find hope and encouragement through her story. Because we talked so much about mental health in this interview, I also think it's important to recognize that there are many different kinds of mental health challenges. In Naomi's case, her personal struggles stemmed from her childhood experience, and she has been able to gain perspective and freedom as she sought out different resources for herself. She's found a healthy way forward by changing her thought patterns and sorting through how she feels in order to take hold of truth. She's a real inspiration. Not all mental health concerns are this straightforward. In order to honor the diversity and reality of many people who struggle with mental health issues, I consulted with Janet Berkey, a licensed professional clinical counselor in New Mexico. She is currently writing her dissertation for a doctorate of counseling. She shared the following statement with me. Mental illness can encompass a variety of issues that are not confined to one area of experience, such as only spiritual, only medical, or only behavioral. Because of this, it's really important to consider what type of support a person might need, and quite often this will be a combination of multiple professionals. For instance, if a person has heart health issues, he or she will see a general practitioner and a cardiologist who optimally would work together from their specialized fields and approaches to offer the patient the best care. There is no one place to start, but medical doctors and pastors should have a referral list of qualified mental health professionals available. Unfortunately, this is not always the case. These types of support services may be more difficult to find than one might think. If you or someone you know is looking to receive help from the local church, please be aware that not all churches and pastors support going outside of the church for help. Also, please be aware that most pastors and other leaders are not trained to diagnose and develop treatment plans for mental health issues. Psychologytoday.com and goodtherapy.org are among the most well-known places on the web where people can put in specifics of what they're looking for in a therapist, and they will get a list of licensed therapists in their area. For those looking specifically for a counselor who is a Christian, the American Association of Christian Counselors is also a resource you might look into. I would like to stress that if you start with a counselor and it's not a good fit, there are others. Do not give up because you have to try another counselor. Good counselors want the best for you, and that includes the best possible therapeutic relationship, whether it is with them or not. If you have questions, you can reach out to Janet by email. Her contact information will be in the show notes for this episode. In closing, I would like to offer a blessing. Mamas, In whatever challenges we are facing, from our present or our past, may we courageously look for the light in the pages of the Bible, in healthy relationships with trusted friends, and when necessary, in the help we might receive from medical and mental health professionals.